good to have everyone out tonight on this Tuesday night. I'd like to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 4. We want to go to John chapter 4 for our, our study tonight. I really want to say again and say a, a genuine thank you to the song leaders. I uh, notice on um, every service that the song leaders have uh, um, reached into the song books to find songs that have to do with grace and um, they're very encouraging, and uh, they, they, I think they're very edifying. They teach us a lot about God, a lot about what we've already studied. And so I appreciate them doing that, and uh, I want to thank the song leaders for doing a good job for that. I want to thank you for your attendance. This is next to the last. This is next to the last night of the meeting. We've had good attendance by the members here and um, visitors. Appreciate our visitors being here. Appreciate you coming out each night. I want to give out a special thank you to um, your young people. I'm very impressed with the young people, the teenagers and young teenagers, uh, the way they pay attention. I think that's very encouraging to me, and I know it's very encouraging to you. And, you know, sometimes teachers don't, teenagers don't get all the compliments they deserve, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on them, give them a good compliment tonight. Um, really appreciate them following along and paying attention. And they, uh, they set a good example for all of us. They're good people. I really do appreciate the hospitality of Danny and Kathy. They've put up with me for three days now and three nights and um, I've enjoyed setting up later than we should, me and Danny talking. <laughs> We've always gone to bed the next day. <laughs> I didn't go to bed till this morning. <laughs> and I really enjoyed getting to know Danny and the works he's been involved in and just sitting around talking about God's Word is very encouraging, very edifying. Appreciate the good hospitality of the Gwens and the hospitality of the Humbles and also the hospitality of um, your preacher and his wife tonight. And enjoy being with you again tonight, and I hope our lesson will be encouraging to you. In the book of John, um, John chapter 4, um, there's a, an interesting phrase or word that's used here when we look at this text. You know the text. This is the story about Jesus and the, um, the Samaritan woman. And, and we're going to use this text for a lesson tonight about sharing God's grace, about sharing God's grace and I find it interesting that when you look at verse 4, talking about Jesus, and this is Jesus who is probably about halfway through the first year of his, of his ministry, it, the Bible says, but he needed to go through Samaria. And I've always read that, and I thought, okay, you know, you know what, I needed to go to um, Somerset, I had to go through Sevierville. I guess that's what that means. And, and listening to somebody else preach about this, they made the point that saying no he needed to go to Samaria as part of his ministry. So I keep it underlined in my Bible, and we're going to look at why did he need to go to Samaria and what we can learn from Jesus in this text. Whenever we look at the story of Jesus and the, the Samaritan woman, I want us to think about just for a moment about you know, who they were and who they were as a race of people. They were a mixed race. Um, um, they were Jews that whenever Samaria fell about 721 B.C. to the Assyrians, eventually the Assyrians brought in um, their people and they intermingled and then married together and, and, and they produced kind of a mixed breed race. And by the time you come down to the time of Jesus, they were half Jews. And in Jesus' day, even though it was bad enough for you to be a Gentile, but for you to be half Gentile and half Jew, that just made you even worse. In the text, a woman would say, you know, why are you talking to me? That you Jews have nothing to do with us Samaritans. And whenever Jesus was asked one time about the greatest commandments, and, and Jesus answered, or that person answered back, you know, love the Lord thy God and love your neighbor. 
And then the lawyer of the law said, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus knew what he was trying to get away with. Um, he didn't want the Samaritans to be his neighbor. He didn't want Gentiles. He wanted only his fellow Jews to be his neighbor. So what does Jesus do? Jesus, the way Jesus does things, he tells the parable of who? The good Samaritan from Samaria. And, and so that would have been something that would have been a, a strong teaching lesson for the Jews. I want us to, to, to read through this text. It's a little bit long, but I think you'll see that the reading will be worthwhile. Go back and make a few points as we talk about um, building courage to, to share our faith with other people. Let's begin reading in verse 4 about Jesus and the events that unfold. Verse 4. But he, that's Jesus, needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst or come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You've well said, I, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one with whom you are now uh, is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place to worship, uh, where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. At, and at this point, His disciples came and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went away into the city, and said to them, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out to the city and came to him. In the meanwhile, 
His disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food uh, to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reap. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me um, all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves, and know this indeed, the Christ, the Savior of the world. Amazing story how it unfolds. And I appreciate you staying with me through the long reading. I want to make some observations about the reading and what happens. And I want you us to notice when we go back to our text, we go back and we see in verse 4, Jesus, as he was going about his ministry, preaching the kingdom of heaven, Jesus, as he was seeking and saving that which is lost, he needed to go somewhere and he needed to go through Samaria. Whenever you look at this passage, Jesus was sharing God's grace and whenever he was preaching at Samaria to the Samarian woman, he needed to go through Samaria. He talks with the woman. Um, whenever you, you um, notice this text and you notice how uh, Jesus gets to the well before the woman, let me just set it up. Jesus says, I need to go through Samaria. Jesus, who knows all things, knows the woman's going to be coming to the well. Knows the disciples are going to go get food. Knows he's going to have this discussion with the woman. Knows there's going to be a discussion with the woman that has some moral issues within her life. Knows there's going to be some pushback and friction back from this woman. Some, a little bit of, you know, a little going back and forth at Jesus, um, toward Jesus. He stays with it in the conversation. He knows how eventually she's going to understand who he is and, she, and he, she's going to go and tell the people in Samaria and they're going to come out and hear him. He knows he's going to be invited to stay and he knows the reason he needed to go to Samaria, and they believed, and he stayed there two days. He also needed to go to Samaria for another reason. He needed to teach his apostles that the Samaritans were open for hearing the good news of the kingdom of God too. And when he would give the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, that means all people of all race There are no barriers on where the gospel can go. The gospel is for all. So Jesus knows everything. I want us to see how Jesus works through the conversation with the woman and what Jesus does in this conversation. So he talks with the woman and Jesus, she gets there and uh, imagine it was hot. She's coming in the heat of the day. Some have supposed because of her immoral lifestyle and being with a man that's not her husband that she didn't come out in the cool in the morning with all the other women of Samaria that she's kind of a little bit of an outcast, perhaps. So she kind of comes out here alone uh, to get the water. 
And Jesus simply says to her in verse 7, he says, give me drink. What we see is he begins to teach her about God's grace. You know, and what I like about what happens between them saying, give me drink, the woman just gives pushback. You know, you're asking me to give you a drink? A Pharisee would not want to drink from a cup or anything that a Samaritan had touched. You know what it's like if you're at a, at a picnic somewhere and you've got your little red Dixie cup there and you've got your favorite Coke or, or, or Diet Coke or something in that drink or, or good iced tea and, and a fly lands on the rim of your cup and starts walking around. You still want to drink out of your cup or on that spot or it goes down in there. You don't, you don't want to do that drink anymore. So, for, so it had to be shocking to the woman that a Jew would speak to the Samaritan or that a Jew would even drink from a, a cup or, or something to draw out water that the Samaritan had touched. And Jesus goes right into the Bible study about God's grace, about the, about the kingdom of heaven, and talks about the gift. If you knew the gift of God and who it is to you says, give me a drink, he would, uh, uh, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He's already talking about, he's already got to the point of salvation. She doesn't understand really what's, where this is going. And she really kind of just says to him, well, if you're going to give me living water, you know, let me have this water. Let me hold on to have that water and keep coming out here. And then we see that Jesus, as he has this conversation with this woman, there's already a little bit of, you know, friction there between them. You got this man and this woman talking, and you got this, this um, Jew and this um, Samaritan talking and, uh, together. And so then we see when we come down to the text that she says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And so Jesus changes the conversation, doesn't he? Why does he do that? Why does he have to bring up the moral issue? <laughs> Well, he does it for a reason. He does not do it to rub her nose in it. He does it. Issue needs maybe probably happens to be covered when you're studying with somebody and you know there's a moral issue there. You decide when the right time is to bring it up and you deal with that moral issue. Um, but Jesus brings it up, I believe, to show what she says. Okay, you brought up my lifestyle. You know about me. You know what a mess my life is. I perceive that you're a prophet. So let's change the discussion to a theological question. <laughs> you Jews say in Jerusalem, place of worship, we like to worship up here. You tell me what, what the answer is. And Jesus, go, Jesus just stays the course, and he talks about, you know what, the time's going to come that neither here nor there is going to be the place to worship. Now you are to worship God in spirit and truth. You all already don't know what you're worshiping because that's not in the scriptures. The Jews know what they worship. That's the right place to worship, right way, way to worship. But the time's coming that, that you will worship God in spirit and truth, and that time is coming now. He reveals that he is the Christ, and then, then she says in verse 25, well, you know, when the Christ comes, we're going to get all these answers. And there's something about what he's done the way he worked this Bible study and worked through the obstacles and the moral issues and everything, that when it comes to this point, when he says, I am he who speaks to you, she believes in Jesus Christ, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. She runs back to the city, forgets her water pots, and this is somebody who's somewhat of a moral outcast, and she's telling all of her Jewish village, come and see, I think I found the Christ Messiah. And so they start coming out. So Jesus has accomplished, began to accomplish his first reason that he had to go through Samaria. 
The second reason he had to go to Samaria is he, had to, he needed to teach the apostles a lesson. So we see that at this point, look at verse 27. At this point, uh, his disciples came and marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said to her, what do you seek? And then we see at this point, the woman's running past them back to the city. And uh, she's going to, to, to say that, I think I found the Christ. And so we see in the meantime, they say to him in verse 31, um, he says to the disciple, the disciples say to him, and urge him, Rabbi, eat. But this is when Jesus is the second reason he had to go through Samaria. Look at verse 32. I have food to eat of which you do not know. I want you to notice something about Jesus. What does it say about Jesus back in verse 6, physically? Um, you know the sixth hour of the day is lunchtime. Anybody here get hungry uh, about 12 o'clock today? <laughs> I'll raise my hand. I get hungry about 12 o'clock. Sometimes your stomach can go off like alarm clock. It's 12 o'clock. Time to eat. Well, Jesus has been traveling. 12 o'clock, Jesus is hungry. Um, that's why they're going to go get lunch in the city and bring it back out. But the text also says about Jesus that Jesus was wearied from his journey. And Jesus not standing by the well. You ever get so tired you just got to sit down? Jesus, son, the Son of Man, was so tired he had to sit down. But he still was laser focused on the Bible study coming up with the woman that he knew was coming out to this well. This just, I don't believe, was an accident. He needed to go to Samaria. He knew what was going to take place. And Jesus carries out this, this Bible study with the woman. And he tells his apostles to lift up their eyes. Do we share God's grace with our family and friends? The theme of our meeting has been grace. First lesson, what does it mean to be a disciple? Second lesson, we look at the woman taken in adultery, and really we are all in her shoes. We don't have her sin. We have our sin. We're in her shoes. We need grace to be saved and go to heaven. Uh, we realize that grace teaches us to want to keep God's commandments, to obey God's commandments. Uh, we learned that Sunday night. Last night we studied about salvation by faith and grace, how whenever we're baptized, God in his mind has erased, forgiven, made our souls white as snow in his mind. Because when he forgives our sins, they're gone. They're cast into the depths of the sea. They're as far away from us as the east is from the west. They're gone. As we continue to walk by faith and, and serve God, we are forgiven. We sin. We ask him to forgive us. We're white as snow again, just like the day we were baptized. Do you ever... Relish what God has done for you with the cross and with your personal relationship with God and forgiveness that you just feel like you have to share it with other people. That's why this lesson's placed here tonight about grace. The Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he would talk about being the least of the apostles, one born out of due season. But he would say, but I labored more than the all. Why did he do that? Because he never forgot the sins he committed, the grace he was given, and, and the, the life that God gave him as a Christian. Grace was his motivation as an apostle to preach the gospel to the Gentile world and write almost half your New Testament. Grace makes us appreciate salvation that we have to open our mouth and say something to share it with somebody else. I want to share a quote with you as you think about this woman at the well, uh, as we see her through the eyes of Jesus as he saw her. 
Terry Benton's a gospel preacher in Alabama. Brother Benton wrote this. Every person you meet has a soul. Thou by nature is worth more than all you could ever dream. It does not matter how they act, how they look or act. You must not, you, um, you must not act as though they are nothing. Treat each soul as though you might have an opportunity to save that soul if you simply and patiently open that door with simple respect. I like that. That's kind of stuck with me through the years. And what that teaches me is no matter what somebody looks like, no matter what they're wearing, no matter what their moral lifestyle is, what Jesus is showing us from this text, why did John give us the story of the Samaritan woman with her moral issues by the time you get to John chapter 4? Why couldn't he pick a prettier evangelism picture to give us? Well, the gospel's meant for all. And for us, whoever we meet, it doesn't matter what condition they're in, what they look like, or anything, that they are worthy for an invitation to come to church, a worthy an invitation to a Bible study. Jesus died for everybody, no matter what they look like. And it is you, and it is me, that has to make decision, are we going to share our faith by simply inviting somebody to come to church, invite somebody to a Bible study, Find your niche, your comfort zone. True confession. It's, it's not easy to talk to a stranger about Jesus. It's not easy for me. I, I think some people just have a natural knack for it. But I found my little niche. Uh, my little niche is no matter who I talk to, cashier, drive through McDonald's or wherever it might be, I always, the waitress at the, at the restaurant, if I'm talking to the waitress, I always tell the person, have a blessed day. God does shower His blessings on the just and the unjust. But what I did when I said that is I let them know that I'm a Christian. I let them know I'm religious. I believe in God. Tell them how blessed. That's my comfort zone. I can say that and hopefully it leads somewhere else. It has led somewhere else. I've had some Bible discussions on the spot with people. But find your comfort zone on how we're going to share the, the gospel with other people. Why do we sometimes hide our, our faith or hide our light um, um, under a basket? I want you to turn with me to that text. You keep Mark, uh, or John chapter uh, 4, Mark, but let's turn over to Matthew chapter 5. You know the text. And this text, I really think, I believe, really goes for with our study tonight is Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and it's the humble and the lowly coming out to him. And he talks about the blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn, and those who are going to be ready for the kingdom of God and will be in the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is going to be all about. And those type of people, he says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Is it then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men? You are the light of the world, a city that is set on the hill that cannot be hid, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand that it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine so before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me tell you something that I know about everybody here tonight who's a Christian. You might say, how can you know everything about me being a Christian? I know something about you about being a Christian. As a Christian... Every day you go to work, you go to school, 
you're with your friends, wherever you're at, co you're with family members. When you're living as a Christian, this is what I know about you. There is light shining. You ever been around somebody at work who just cusses like a sailor and, you know, they just, they're ornery and tell bad jokes? They're just that type of person. And then you got the person over here who's kind, considerate, respectful, doesn't use bad language. You just know there's something different about them. People know there's something different about you. You ever have somebody come up to you and ask you, are you a Christian? (laughs) Are you a Christian? You go, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'll tell you what's really interesting is you see somebody and you just got to go ask them, and this has happened to me. I go up and ask them, are you a member of the Church of Christ? Yeah. Well, I don't know how you, you read that on somebody. And I go, yeah, you know, you kind of look like somebody who's a member of the Church of Christ. It's had a feeling about you. What you have by simply living your life as a Christian, you are so different from this world. You have a natural light shining before you do anything else. I mean, after this sermon tonight, you're different. And you might think how wicked our world has become and the moral issues in this world that we have. Let me just say this. Darker the world, brighter the light shines. And more you stand out and the more that you shine. Here's some things we have to be careful about that we don't hide our light under a basket. Number one, we, we need to be careful. This happens to all of us. This happens to me sometimes too that we get distracted by ordinary things. So, you know, the, the disciples, you know, they, maybe they saw the Samaritan woman leaving the scene there with Jesus, and they're not even thinking about a soul. They're not thinking about she needs salvation. She's not in the picture because she's a, she's a Samaritan, and all they're thinking about is food and lunch, and why isn't Jesus eating? They're eating their food. Why isn't he munching down on his food? Has anybody given him something? They were so distracted by, by the mundane. I guess she was still there because they raised a question, but they didn't ask him, you know, why is he talk, what does he want? Why is he talking with her? They, they were distracted by the mundane. It was rest time. It was lunch time. You know, not really time right now to have a Bible study with anybody. You wouldn't want to have a Bible study anyway with a Samaritan anyways. They were focused on material things. What can happen to me? What can happen to us as Christians we, get, we can get busy with our lives. Our lives can get busy and just wear us out sometimes. And what happens is we just forget about that we see souls every day. Secondly, avoid, we avoid unattractive people, therefore we hide our faith. There is a member of the church, she was an older woman in a wheelchair that lived in an apartment complex. And uh, right down the hall from her was um, um, guys and girls living together. They were, they were a rock band, played in a bar. So she um, rolled her wheelchair down there, and she knocked on the door, and, and one of the band members came to the door. And from her wheelchair, she said, would you all want to have a Bible study? The person said, sure. And he was serious. So she goes back to church, and the deacons go over there, and they study with this rock band that they play their rock music in a bar. And they baptized every one of those rock band members. They all became Christians. But one. (laughs) You're going to get a bigger amen in a minute. Um, The drummer held out 
He had long hair. He wore bright red, flaming red, um, bell-bottom pants. Um, he slept through all the Jewel Miller film strips about the last one. And they thought, we're going to go back and we're going to try to convert this drummer. And they played the last Jewel Miller film strip, which was the history of the Lord's Church, where it went from the Lord's Church to, and then Catholicism arose, the Protestant Reformation movement, and how you can go back to the Lord's Church today. And that got him. And he was baptized. They're still going through their life changes. While they're playing at the bar still, after he's baptized, he's reading between gigs. He's back there reading his Bible. And today, that long-haired, holding out, slept through the Bible study, red bell-bottom pant drummer is a gospel preacher. Thank you. He spent the last, I don't know, five or six years preaching in a prison in Jacksonville, Florida, where he baptized, helped baptize over 800 people. Do not get, an distract, do not get distracted because somebody's lifestyle or, or avoid somebody because they are unattractive people. Jesus did not do that. Also, never discount somebody's spiritual interests. Um, for five years, I had worked at Verizon, went back in full-time preaching this time last year, and did that to help a small group get started in, in Greer, South Carolina. You all were ni nice enough to support somebody who was working full-time. I, I appreciate that very much. And um, at Verizon World, um, you're allowed to decorate your cubicle however you want to decorate your cubicle. Some guy had all the Avengers, some guy had all the Legos, and um, uh, I didn't have anything. Mine was the most boring cubicle. All I had was my laptop and my Bible. I would bring it to work. And then one of my co-workers, um, she lived the gay lifestyle, and she just had her and her pictures, her and her girlfriend's pictures plastered all over her cubicle. And one day I was at the lunchroom. I went down late for lunch for some reason, and when I come out with my little tray and I'm looking for a place to, 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 to sit by somebody I know, everybody's gone. The whole cafeteria room was empty, but this one gay girl. I'm thinking, well, <laughs> what am I going to do now? <laughs> she knows I carry a Bible to work. She may know I'm a preacher. She knows I'm a Christian at least. You know, I probably need to go sit over here because if some other people come down and see me sitting with her, they might think bad about me. So I might need you to just go sit over here. And I stood there in my train. I thought, no. Where would Jesus go sit at the cafeteria? He would go sit by the person that needed to hear the gospel. I didn't preach the gospel to her. But she knew I was a Christian. And she knew I went over and sat with her. And we talked about life and work and things. And what I was trying to do was to begin building a friendship bridge. Never discount, a Bible study never came from it. I don't know if, she, if that ever had an influence upon her or anything. But never discount any spiritual interest because of her lifestyle. And sometimes we can just forget people are lost. And we just go through our world, don't think about people being lost. And here we come, I guess we think about it on Sunday morning. Yeah, we'll think about it on Sunday morning. But, you know, as soon as we have that Sunday night closing prayer, we don't see lost people Monday morning at school, at work, at Aldi's, you know, at Hobby Lobby or wherever else we might go. 
uh, we need to remember people are lost. Jesus needed to go to Samaria. Jesus needs for us to go out today. Jesus teaches us to see lost people and to share our faith. You already are standing out to people who have not spoken to you. Had a a gentleman who went to work at a factory with another gentleman. We keep inviting the guy to church. The guy would never come. The guy five years go by. The guy would never come to church. One day, the guy decides to come to church, and then he studies and he's baptized. And for about five years, he was a gospel preacher. But it took five years of sharing your faith and asking this person, "Would you come to church with me?" Before he ever came. And he made a fantastic gospel preacher for five. Still a Christian today. So just share your... My point being about the factory was is he knew he was a Christian because he just naturally let his light shine by being a good Christian. Finally, um, do we share our faith? Do we share our faith? I know this is an uncomfortable question. I mean, I'm a gospel preacher. It still can be uncomfortable to talk to somebody who's a stranger about the gospel. I'm eager to. I love to. That's what I want to do. But it's always uncomfortable starting up the conversation somehow. And I know it's probably uncomfortable for you. And 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 we need to face the uncomfortable. And whenever we face the uncomfortable, eventually God's grace and God's love, what he's done for you, would just swell up so much inside of you, one day you're just going to tell somebody... Have a blessed day. <laughs> or you might, you know, at all these, you'll have these in your wallet, your purse. You'll, I love these little cards. I think Brother Gwen made these little things. Just hand these things out. People can stand this, come right to your church website or wherever this takes them to. But what happened, let me ask you this. How do you feel, what does it make you feel like when somebody invites you to go to their church? Do you think that was nice? They're being friendly? I mean, you know, you know things better and you know the truth in the Lord's church. But is not that's not is not not leave you with a nice gesture. That's how you leave people when you ask them to come to worship here or hand out a card like this. You can tell somebody to have a blessed day. You can say, you know, here I just want to invite you to come to church. Don't say nothing. Just leave it and walk away. You let your light shine. Um, you spread some seed. You can share your faith. And we've already talked about how we can let our light shine, and that makes a difference in the way people see us. And you already have an influence that you're building with people, and you can use that influence for other people. Um, we need to realize that God will use you to open doors. Um, Jesus knew doors were going to be open at Samaria. That's why he needed to go through Samaria. But we, you and I need to be looking, and we need to be ready when God opens doors for us. Remember, um, the apostles come back from the, the, their missionary journey in Acts chapter 14. They, they gave a, a report to the church, and they talked about how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Have you ever just thought sometimes you met somebody, and, and it, something clicked, and you got talking about the Bible or God, and you wonder, did God have a hand in that? There's nothing wrong with that. God still works in this world. We sing the song, this is my father's world. God still works in his world. And God can, if you're eager to, to get a Bible study with somebody or invite somebody to come to church, God can get you with the person that needs to hear that message. God opens doors. I was, um, met a lady that was Methodist in, in Montgomery, Alabama. She was older in life. Uh, she's living in a retirement community. 
And uh, one of our members of the church, who she didn't mind sharing her faith. <laughs> she was an older woman. And she said, Luther, will you go talk to, I'll say her name was Edith. Will you go talk to Edith? And, and I said, sure, sure, I'll go talk to Edith. And what happened was, I went to talk to Edith, and we talked, I listened to Edith. And, and, and Edith had a very long Methodist heritage in her family. I mean, a couple of her, you know, grandparents and, grand, and great-grandparents were like bishops in the Methodist church and went back really far. She had a Methodist heritage. And we studied and talked, and she was starting to see about just following Jesus without denominationalism. She was starting to see, I need to be baptized to be saved. But what I didn't know was happening, every, it was for three weeks I went back and studied with her. When I got done studying with her on Monday, on Tuesday her church deacons were coming back behind me and saying, you know, do you realize if you believe what he's teaching you, that means all your relatives, your family tree didn't go to heaven. So they were just tearing up everything that I was teaching. And so when I was ready for the fourth week of my Bible study with Edith, I get a phone call. And she said, um, Luther Pratt, don't come today. And as far as I'm concerned, don't you ever darken my door again. What you teach means that all my family's been lost. Goodbye. Behind the scenes, there was an institutional church that had Meals on Wheels, and this Christian was always taking Edith food every week. And Edith brought up to her what I had studied with her. And then with her, Edith said, can I be baptized? And she was baptized for the remission of sins in a baptistry in an institutional building, but she was baptized and she became a Christian. Now I got a call back from Edith and Edith said, Luther, she said, I'm sorry for that phone call I gave you. I was baptized this week and I'm going to place membership at your church. I said, sure, sure. Never, never discount how God will use open doors if you and I will look for them and be willing to walk through them. We need to be ready to plant the gospel seed. Love the foundational parable of almost all other parables, the parable of the sower. You never know when you say the right thing to somebody somewhere at the right time how that plants a seed that might grow next week, next month, next year, next 10 years, and it might lead them to become a Christian. That's why you and I need to say something. That's why you and I need to, to hand out something. We need to, we need to challenge ourselves to get out of our comfort zone, to share our faith, because Jesus needs you to do that. And one of our members, we, you know, we're a very small congregation. We have about 30 members, but we have about 25 at services because of, of health reasons. And um, one of our members had, um, was, and he lives 45 minutes away, and he um, saw that a couple was moving in down the street from him. So he, he's just a friendly fellow. He's, he's, he just pulls up, and, and he goes up and talks to him. He walks them to the neighborhood, and, you know, do you know where to go get the gas and everything turned on? And can I help you with anything? And here's my phone number, and just call him, you know, if you need anything. Then he went back and checked up on them later. And before he left, he said, would you all want to come to church with me Sunday? They said, sure. <laughs> I mean, that's nice and easy. And so um, Ellsworth and, um, and Karen have been worshiping with us three weeks in a row. They're moving from New York. 
And they had to go back to New York to finish the move. And on her way out the door, um, she looked up to me and she said, when I come here, this feels like home. We'll see you. We'll be back here to worship in October when we get back down here. So you never know if you just invite somebody to come to church, you never know where that will go, what that would lead to. Uh, we were studying the Holy Spirit of all subjects, and he participated in our Bible class, said good things. Very humble couple, couple who love the Lord, they love the Bible. And simply by planting seeds and sharing seeds, you can help people um, know Jesus Christ, have a Bible study, or come to church. We need to be willing to shift our, our way of approaching people to fit their needs. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, we read this passage this week. To the Jew I became as a Jew, to the Greek I became a Greek. Those not under law is under, not under law. I became all things to all people. And whenever we are talking to people, we need to be able to shift gears that we can get on their level where they're at. So let's say you have a good friend who's a member, who's very religious, and they're a member of the Baptist church or whatever church it might be. Uh, how could you shift? What, where could you get on their level? How did Jesus get on her level? He wanted a drink out of the well, and she came out the water get well. The well was to connect there. That's why he went to Jacob's well. Can you say to you, um, to your, if you're talking to, to let's say, your, your Baptist friend about, about God, and you, you're impressed how much they believe in God, is it okay for you to say, I really commend how much you love God? Well, that might be talking about the Bible. I really appreciate the way you think about the Bible, your respect for the Bible. Can you affirm that in them? Yes. If somebody is really striving to live a Christian life and, and they're not a member of the Lord's church, can you say to them, I really appreciate your faith and how you live and you don't use bad language at work or at school and I really appreciate how you're... Can you affirm their faith that they believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. They have the same belief that you have in Jesus, that he's the son of God, that we have in Jesus, that he's the son of God. I realize we need to get on down the road with a Bible study, but there's places that we can, to a Jew, become like a Jew. To a Gentile, we can become like a Gentile. Some, to somebody in our, one of our denominational friends in the world who might, you know, they, they believe and love God and love the Bible, we can get on the same level with them like that. And we can relate to them. We need to shift where people are at. Jesus started where the woman was at to help bring the woman where she needed to be. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses, verse 24, Paul tells us, we need to read this passage because this is something that helps us guide us in our Bible study and to have control in our Bible study. The book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, and please come down to verse, to verse, um, verse 23. Think about this when you're talking to people. Great guideline to, to help connect with people instead of just pushing people away. He says, But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they gender strife. And a servant of the Lord, he's talking now to a gospel preacher, a servant of the Lord, this will apply to all of us, must not quarrel, be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his good will. 
The best way to share your faith with people is not to walk up to somebody and just smack them in the head with your Bible. Let me tell you what the Bible says about baptism because you know, you know they might not understand about baptism. That's not the way Jesus approached the woman at the well. Tell you what, and there's a time that you need to stand up and probably be a little bit strong about the truth. Those times are far and few between when you're just trying to share your faith with your neighbor and with your friends and help them develop an interest to want to have an eagerness to know and learn and know more about Jesus Christ. So, do we share our faith? Do you share your faith? Do I share my faith? I don't want this lesson to be that we get closing prayer amnesia, that after the closing prayer you leave, and we, we totally forgot what the sermon was about. I want to challenge you to up your game. So, how will you share your faith? Will you um, simply, next time you're at Hobby Lobby or Aldi's, give us somebody one of your evangelism cards? Will you um, just invite somebody? We don't come to church Sunday. We'd love to have you come. Will you um, tell somebody have a blessed day so they'll start picking up that you're religious? How are you going to share your faith? It feels uncomfortable. Go through it. You'll be happy that you did. And just do it. Just do it like Jesus. I know that phrase comes from Nike. I like that phrase. I want to use it at the end. Just do it. I had a, um, uh, a um, kind of a little funny story that happened. Uh, whenever I was working at Verizon and preaching too, I just got to where I was exhausted. And there was one week I could not cut my grass. There was two weeks I could not cut my grass. There was three weeks I did not get my grass cut. So we called somebody to come cut the grass. I'm going to pay them. They show up, and they get mad. The grass is so high. Told them I've been cut in three weeks. They get mad. They come. I'm I'm on the phone taking care of a rising customer working from home. They come up the door and they just kind of say something snippety at my wife. You know, why is the grass so high? I'm not going to cut it. And he storms on out. He was he was a friend. I knew the guy. I'm like, what happened? Well. My daughter, she is the one that just had the baby, Kendra. She is just tenacious. <laughs> well, Kendra heard about that. And I'm working on the phones you know, from home, and, and I hear a lawnmower in my backyard. And my little skinny 36-year-old daughter is out there in her sneakers pushing a push mower. We have a, I have half an acre of a backyard to cut, she is mad as a hornet back to her cutting this grass. And my wife from her deck takes a picture of Kendra cutting grass for her daddy. She's wearing a shirt that says, just do it. And then Kendra, Tanya posts it on Facebook and she forgets the guy who wouldn't cut my grass is a friend on Facebook. Tanya said, well, if he sees it, it's kind of poetic justice. How are you going to share your faith? Don't think about it. Find your niche. Find your comfort zone. Step out of it. Just do it. And just do it for Jesus. His grace teaches us to share our faith. Thank you. You've been a kind audience. If you're here tonight and if you need to be the gospel of Christ, we're going to ask you to come forward. You can be baptized in the Christ tonight. If you're here tonight, maybe as a Christian, you have sin in your life. You want to give that sin up and repent. 
You want us to pray for you so you can have forgiveness and you can leave the building stronger tonight. And we're standing ready to help you do that. If we can pray for you for any other reason, if we can help you and encourage you uh, as a Christian, or if you're a non-Christian, you have any questions, we stand ready to help you to know Jesus and to know his love and love his grace and to know his grace. God loves you. We love you. Come forward while we stand and sing.